This episode of Creativity in Captivity is sponsored by the Curtis Theater in Brea, California. Presenting Dawn Reed's The Never Too Late Show on Saturday, May 11th. Tickets are available at the Curtis Theater website. Get ready for insight and inspiration on the creative process from an array of artists, writers, and visionaries on May 9th, when Season 7 of Creativity in Captivity kicks off. In the meantime, please enjoy over 150 episodes hosted by Pat Hazel with a stable of creative guests in our listening lounge at creativityincaptivity.fun. This is Creativity in Captivity. I'm Pat Hazel. My guests today are the creators of the fabulous Equinox Orchestra, known for their phenomenal musicianship, original arrangements, and a catalog of songs from standards to the Great American Songbook. This dynamic duo is loaded with Southern swinging swagger. Coming up is my dialogue with the shooting stars of Savannah, Clay Johnson and Jeremy Davis. Hey, Pat. Hey. That was great. Shooting stars. There's a constellation being built there in Savannah, (laughs) which is made up of all the points of the Equinox Orchestra guys, because you have so many great players. I think about Aaron at the piano. Mm. I mean, I can't name all the guys, but I could tell you who they were in a police lineup because I've seen seen their faces before. I had the pleasure in New York of joining you on stage, and as I did a bit where the audience threw tomatoes at me while I sang, and you guys were kind enough to back me up. And I don't think the band knew what they were getting into because they were being hit by these sponge tomatoes while they were playing their instruments. They still talk about it. They still count that as a highlight of being pelted. You weren't the only one that got hit by the tomatoes, by the way. I know. They were going in their instruments, as I recall. I remember that. That's never happened before. One of the things that made me laugh so much is that I just did that one thing and went back to the audience and watched the show. Yeah, yeah, But since the floor was littered with these (laughs) stress ball tomatoes, the band was picking them up and throwing them back at Jeremy when he was telling bad jokes. (laughs) This was a bad idea. It was perfect. I loved it. It (laughs) Well, let me tell you, when I first did that, it was mainly because when people are throwing tomatoes, they are not paying attention to if the singer's good or bad. You know, that's true. That's true. It's more target practice than it is ta- a talent show. Yeah. <laughs> well, let me introduce everybody to the two of you. Clay, a fabulous singer and showman fronting the band vocally most of the time. And Jeremy playing the saxophone, leading the band and dealing with the logistics of booking the band and getting them around the country and to all these amazing events. So you guys are pretty extraordinary business partners in this venture. We are, you know, we're kind of yin and yang on a lot of things. We're exactly alike on a lot of things, but I think where we're, our strengths and differences lie really make this partnership work well. Well, you're kind of defining this, what we'll call the Savannah sound. There's an energy that comes from when you guys play and it's, it's big band and, and yet you're doing contemporary tunes and throwback tunes and saluting Johnny Mercer. Do you have a way of describing what you guys are doing? Yeah, we kind of do. We always say to people that we use the big band as the luxurious musical vehicle of choice. Musically, we do everything from Elvis, Johnny Cash, to Ray Charles, to New Orleans stuff, to 80s pop tunes. Literally everything in the middle just finds its home in this Louisiana-inspired big band. That, that's kind of the way we, we like to put it together. Our mentor and friend here in Savannah, Stratton Leopold, who's a movie producer, and he also produces the world's best ice cream at Leopold's Ice Cream here in Savannah. (laughs) He's the one that set set us down a while back and said, guys, you are the Savannah Sound. You are taking our city and the love of who we are, of of this hostess city, the the home of Johnny Mercer, and just this, this wonderful, soulful, southern, sexy, big band sound, and you're taking it to the world. And, and he really championed us in that. And that, that, that meant a lot to us. So we said, let's just, let's, let's take it with his blessing and run with it. It's been, it's been a lot of fun. Let's talk about Johnny Mercer for a second. Cause I know a couple of quotes. One, uh, he said, it takes more talent to write music, but it takes more courage to write lyrics, mm. Ooh. which I thought was really interesting. I, I had to have the distinction of being the immediate past president of the friends of Johnny Mercer, which sounds important, but I promise it's not. But the Friends of Johnny Mercer exist in Savannah. They're mainly senior adults that were that knew Johnny, which was part of the reason why I, I was asked to take the lead is because I was the most ambulatory. Uh, 
fancy word, which means I could walk better. Yeah, it's like being the designated walker. Exactly. That was my job. So he was not on oxygen at the time, so exactly. he was able to yes. breathe freely. So it was great because we got to learn a lot about Johnny from the people who loved him most. And Johnny wrote 15, 1600 songs, whatever, but he was primarily a lyricist and a singer. You know, he really fancied himself a singer. He did a bunch of big band records and whatever, but he wrote so many great songs. Classic songs like Moon River, Old Black Magic, uh, Accentuate the Positive. I could go on and on and on. Yeah, yeah. And he, Dippity Doo Da. Yeah. You know, I mean, yeah. seriously, if you look at the list, and I didn't know how proficient he was and just profound his impact was until I moved to Savannah and I, and I looked it up and I was like, dude, this guy, like half the songs that I play on a regular basis are him or, or Cole Porter. He was quite the character. Yeah. And maybe it's cold outside getting more attention. <laughs> It's very interesting in, in in all of this, and I think lyrics get caught up in this too, which is people forget the time when things were recorded or what the intent right. was and right. what words meant at a time. And where everybody's just much more sensitive about everything they do. Some of the stuff is still an amazing showcase for the singer and for the musician, mm -hmm. and they were of their time. I, th I was just going to say, I think, going back to the quote that, that Johnny made about how writing lyrics is a lot more difficult. And I mean, I think that speaks to it in itself is that over a lifetime, the lyrics change over a lifetime, words change and cultures change. Trying to take a feeling or, or a, tell a story in a very powerful way through lyric, it is a gift. Johnny had the gift. I mean, it, yeah. he was, he was touched with an incredible ability to, to say a whole lot of things in just two or three or four words. I remember I'm referencing another interview that that you did when you did with with Jerry Seinfeld when he was talking about the lyrics because he was all into lyrics and and that was really interesting to me how he studied lyrics and the the song that he was talking about was was Mr. Bojangles and and how he, he shook his clothes back all around like those few words create <laughs> such a distinct picture and you can you can get it and you don't understand how those few words can can emote such a such a, a vivid image in your mind but but it works. I think that's why lyricists and poets and comics, we rely on the choice of words and the mm -hmm. order of words and the rhythm of those words right. to get emotion or to get laughter. Mm -hmm. And you can make a, a difference by one word being in the wrong place. You know, yeah. <laughs> that's it doesn't scan right. It doesn't sing right. Or, or it's not funny. I've, I've run into that many a time. That's true. John was from Savannah, Georgia. So much of his experience was based on, growing up here it's deeply southern and still sophisticated if you look at the lyrics to to the song midnight sun your your lips were like a red and ruby chalice warmer than the midnight sun I mean, the guy the guy wrote some really beautiful heavy stuff cole porter was unique in the fact that he wrote the lyrics and the music that's super special but johnny was i was he was just one of the the best lyricists they, they called on him for all the, the big movies back in the day he was prolific because he wrote a lot he said you must write for the wastebasket. Mm. <laughs> it's to say, don't keep it in your head. He's yeah. saying, put it down, look at it, discard it, move on. Keep writing until you find what's great. Yeah, That's a good reminder that you can't think about it. You've got to be driven to work every day. It also helps you not take yourself too seriously, because if you think that everything you write down is, is gospel, then uh, you're going to have a hard time throwing it away. Or if you think that you <laughs> just, good. everything's got to be a hit. Like if you, like I, we had a friend of ours from years ago, who's a songwriter. And he was like, you can't just throw it away. If you think it's not a hit, you know, you've got to just write, like you said, Pat, just write and, and, and you'll get there. Clay, I know you have preaching in your background. So mm -hmm. w the apostles wrote like it was gospel, didn't they? <laughs> I mean, yeah, I don't think they knew that it was gospel at the time. <laughs> Did you sing in church growing up yourself? Oh, gosh, yes, absolutely. I don't remember much else but singing in church. And then my parents were in a gospel group as well. My mom's side of the family, they were all gospel singers, and, and their cousins had a singing group. And so they would still, even as we were kids, they would travel around and, and tour churches and, and perform, and they would take us with them. Every show, there was always a, hey, let's feature the the second generation of cousins. And we would all kind of get shuffled on stage and, and and sing the song. You know, I'm five, six years old singing in churches around the country. So that was that was always part of my I, I figured everybody else had the same experiences that I, turns out everybody didn't do that. So it's kind of weird. But uh, well, I think, you know, when I watch you, you have such charisma on stage and you seem to be 
unflappable in front of the audience. Of course, there's some kind of adrenaline that makes you Mm -hmm. turn on Mr. Showtime, but it's so natural. Your way of interpreting words and communicating directly to the audience, I think speaks to the many, many years that you've done it. Like the intimidation seems to go away. I had never done any theater at all until I got to college and I got interested in it. And so I auditioned for West Side Story and got the part of Riff. And it was great. I had so much fun, but I had no idea what I was doing. And so the director called me into her office pretty soon after that. And she said, where did you learn how to act? And I said, well, I don't, I've never really. So tell, tell me what your background is. I said, I don't, I don't have any, my parents didn't act. So what do your parents do? I said, well, mom is a, is a teacher, school teacher. She's like, well, she's an actor. My dad's a, a preacher. She's like, or your dad's an actor too. I totally get why you, why you're so, says, your mom and dad both have practice in being in front of people and pretending they know what they're talking about. Now, I also was in West Side Story. Can you guess what part I played? You played Officer Krupke. Nope. (laughs) No, even lower than that. I was called Detective Shrank. Shrank Oh, yeah, Shrank. Yeah, yeah. He he was the the detective that brought Officer Krupke. Yeah, Yeah, Lieutenant Shrank. No singing at all. No, no, no. If you look at my musical repertoire of where I play, the music man, I audition, I get the part of the conductor. Okay. No, I'm not talking about the, the music conductor. I'm talking about the, the train, train conductor. conductor. Right. At the very beginning. It says, uh, all aboard, next station stop, River City, and no more lines the entire show. That's it. And so I spent two hours backstage reading Mad Magazine and then came back and bowed with them. So the king and I comes along and I get a part of a dancing cloud. No singing, just a guy holding a cloud in front of his face. That's beautiful. Like, they wanted me not to be in these musicals. <laughs> so my life was entirely different than yours, Clay. I'm going to ask you, Jeremy, to take us back for a second. Set the stage for meeting in seventh grade, because you two have been cohorts for a very long time, Louisiana boys from Monroe, Louisiana. Did you ever have differences along the way, or has it had been clear sailing since the get-go? To be really honest with you, it's pretty much been clear sailing. I mean, we're so yin yin and yang, and we're both reasonable. We hear each other, we have to say, and we respect each other. And if one's maybe wrong on something, we we, kind of usually end up seeing eye to eye. But the story started back in the seventh grade when we, unbeknownst to us at first, we the first day of uh, seventh grade, we realized that that was the year that you changed from having one teacher to having seven teachers. And walking through all seven classes, our mothers saw the other mother at all seven classes and decided that it was fate that we should be friends. And, and uh, we literally have been stuck together our entire life since then. We, we did all of, all of junior high together, all of high school together. We were college roommates. We met our wives at the same time. We actually got married to, to our wives two weeks apart from one another. And we all moved our whole families out to Savannah to restart the Fabulous Equinox Orchestra. So we really do have the ability to tolerate an infinite amount of one another. And we, we pretty much get along most of the time. It shows on stage. It works. I think we both bring something unique to it. We both love being on stage. We were good at some of the same things and we're good at different things. And I think it, it all works. And, and what you're saying about Clay being a natural really is true, truly. I mean, it's it's remarkable. And I, and I want to say this because we've worked with a lot of great, great singers. And this isn't to say anything bad about any of them. But, but Clay has a special thing that he can do. Like, for instance, we've worked with people who've won Tony Awards. We've worked with people who sing at Birdland and the greatest venues all over. And what it requires for them to get ready is usually fairly simple. It's three or four rehearsals. It's walkthrough. It's, it's some handholding. It's some conversation. Clay is like, it's just go time and he gets it done. I mean, he, there's no one I've ever worked with that can deliver the goods upon arrival like he can. And, and he doesn't really even pregame that hard. I see him. I'm, I, I know he just. No, I've, I've seen him eating food. The golden throated songbird oh, yeah. will just, just finish out. eating and walk on stage. Yes. And, and, and that <laughs> is remarkable and it makes it fun. I can't give anybody advice on, on how to take care of your voice. I'm the, I'm the literally the worst. Well, but you know what? It's in your DNA because you have two children that I've seen sing. I know you have three children all together, but I've seen sure. two of them mm-hmm. sing. And because they have a the advantage of having an orchestra in the family, um, <laughs> no, they get they get a chance yeah. to perform on a, at a high capacity with right, right. real audiences. And mm-hmm. there's no trade for that. There's no, no trade for the A game. It's like putting your kids into the Yankees 
early on (laughs) and skipping Little League. Which I'm very grateful for. And Pat, you are a great mentor to my my kids and they both look up to you. So so much. they all look up to you, but my two oldest for sure. And you've told them they don't realize the opportunity they've they've had to to sing is one that most young aspiring artists don't don't have the the opportunity that they that they have had and so it, but it's helped them it's helped but they're very talented singers you're not pushing them out in front of somebody to tap dance to get a agent contract I think what's magical about watching them sing with you or sing on their own in front of the orchestra is that they hold the stage with the same command that you do mm. and your son Sai I jokingly said to him, I'll be his manager. Yeah. Now, if I were really his manager, he'd tell me when he has a gig, (laughs) but I have to see it on Facebook where the school plays just happened. The musicals happened. The quartet just sang. And I was like, you're really leaving the manager out. (laughs) Well, I got to get, yeah, he's not the best with communication for sure. We're still working on that. That's why he needs a manager. That's right. He needs a manager. That's right. So how does the family balance with the touring? Because mm. this is a age old problem, yeah. which is that in order for an orchestra to make do, they've got to hit the road. Sometimes you have to load up that tour bus and go away for a couple of weeks. Mm. Take that one, Jeremy. Yeah, it's a challenge for sure. I mean, everybody who's ever been on the road knows that it's all we've ever known. You know what I mean? It's in my life, this is it. I mean, I, I have, my kids are 15, 16 and 20. My wife has always been a full-time mom, stay at home and, She's really been so thankful for that. because, And I think, honestly, that makes it easier, Pat, the fact that she didn't have to go to a place of employment somewhere else, which would make it harder. So there's lots of family time and lots of stuff at home that's not disrupted by that. So I, I, that's a huge blessing in my life. I think it's made it a lot easier. And then we're, when we're home, we, we, we make good use of the time. But again, man, it's all we've ever known. I know it's, it's a little more hectic at, at Clay's house because his wife has a, a great job and, and his kids are so... Goldie's very young, so it's like they're, they're they've got a huge age gap there, which means that he's 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 doing the terrible twos of traveling around, doing all the stuff, mm-hmm. and then he's got kids who are you know driving age. So he's he's got both. His lot has been harder than mine for sure. There's difficulties on all fronts, and Pat, you've lived it too, so so you know what it's like having kids on the road with you and all that kind of good stuff. I know Jeremy and I both just want when we're home, we want to be home and not not distracted by everything else. So when we have to be away, we're away. And when we're here, we want to be as fully invested with our kids and our wives as we can and go see the shows and go do the fun stuff in the park and go to the pool and go to the beach and all the things that we're supposed to do with the family that we want to do with the family. And so, um, so we just try to be as present as possible when we're at home and fail at that quite often, but, uh, <laughs> yeah. but still, still try to be as present as we can for, we, for our we've kids. been able to really take advantage of it though. You know, we've been able to like to bring our kids to all of our kids. They, they loaded them all up. Our wives took them all the way on tour through all of Halifax, Nova Scotia with the band, which was the black Poland took it, to, took them to Poland oh, with us. That was crazy. Israel. So, it, and then our kids all show up on shows occasionally. My, like my two boys were at a show yesterday. Mm-hmm. And of course, it's regular that one of Clay's kids is actually singing with us. So we we make the most of it. I will give a grand salute to both of your wives because they, they are team members as well in yeah. keeping that family balance and keeping mm-hmm. everybody focused on education and all those outside activities. And it is invaluable mm-hmm. to have a support system like that that allows you the freedom to be creative. And Amen. I'm speaking now openly that many of our listeners are people who try to figure out how do I have an in-home office and not have people come crashing in while I'm working. So, you know, it is, there is a balance that you're always trying to find when, when my kids were really young, I hung a sign over the door from the wizard of Oz. that said, nobody gets in to see the wizard. No (laughs) way, no how. (laughs) And if that was up, they honored not coming in. That meant I was on the phone or something. But if it was down, they would run to the mailbox, get the mail and come in. They kind of, it was like an indicator light. Yeah, yeah. Um, Live on air. Yeah, but they would also come around to the window and look in with the pressing their hands and face against it to see, is it, does it really mean, is he really on the phone? You know, that kind of thing. (laughs) The pandemic strikes, lots of dates get canceled. Mm. The bus comes to a halt. And there you are trying to decide what to do with the livelihood of all of your musicians in hand. And I know that you took to live streaming and donation shows, but 
the thing I really want to shine a light on is the amazing work you were doing in the community and at senior homes. And there was a great moment where Steve Hartman, who I, I would give a pandemic, I would call it an yeah. Emmy for dealing with the pandemic yeah. was doing these inspired stories called mm-hmm. kindness One Hundred and One, And then you guys sent the story or reached out to them in some way and they covered your, the work you were doing. So will you just kind of describe what you were doing for those senior homes? We tagged him in a post and he found out about it. And then he re- re- shared it to his massive audience. We, we love Steve Hartman. He's, he's, he, it truly was unique. I remember being on the front end of this, this, this fancy contractual term called force majeure. I remember when the first one started to cancel, we tour all over the world, man. I mean, and it just, it happened early. And I was like, and I remember making a post saying, artist friends, get ready. Cause this word's about to become everyday fodder for you. And yeah, man, it was the weirdest thing. I just look back on it thinking, okay, every single thing that I've spent my life working towards musically and artistically financially has just went away. And what are we going to do? It seems like a, a weird distant dream. I think at some point we decided we we're going to go live on the internet. We, we were as smart as we could. We were socially distanced as we could. We, we were able to keep our gear in a local hotel in, in Tower 2 of the Perry Lane Hotel, which was completely closed. We'd enter through the basement, go to the rooftop ballroom, and we went live every week with the whole band. And again, we masks, we, we separated the band as far as we could, kind of how they described at the time to do. And Pat, again, this is before everybody with the phone was going live, you know, because, of course, it became that. But it was remarkable. I mean, we, we, we went live every week. And... For a free show on Facebook, man, we ended up raising like eighty thousand dollars in the in the course of just a few weeks for people paying for a pe- a show that they didn't even have to pay to watch. I mean, they, they could watch it for free, but we used uh, one of our ticketing platforms, Event Groove, which we've been friends with them forever, set up donations, and it was so moving, it was crazy that they actually called us and said, "What are you doing?" Because <laughs> no one else is doing. Matter of fact, we're on their website now for how we dealt with it. But Clay's quick to point out that the people who were most impacted were those in senior living homes because they were they were shut down, man. They they couldn't have visitors. We did our best to try to support those communities as best we could. And the one that Steve Hartman picked up on, we basically took the whole big band, did the same thing, socially distanced and set up outside. So we weren't in any direct contact with them because that would have defeated the point, but just played their music for them. And I remember have seen World War II vets dance and little ladies and, and and a guy who just he was down to a wheelchair but just shuffling his feet it was a unique time and we we did it we did a, just a bunch of zooms with a bunch of people a bunch of other artists to try to just be a blessing to other folks and just made a lot of great relationships during that time yeah i love seeing those broadcast on live stream because you would be out like say under the carport of the senior <laughs> with the bushes behind you, but they all were out there with their folding chairs and Mm -hmm. they were in hog heaven to have a big band playing right there at their doorstep. And I think there was another person. I don't know if you know the actress, Laura Bonanti, but she's a Broadway star singer in musicals. She played Melania Trump, I think on the, on the Jimmy Fallon show a few times, (laughs) but she did something really amazing, which was she realized that when all these shows got shut down, that every kid that was supposed to be a lead in their high school mm. musical wasn't going to get a chance to perform for their mm. friends. Yeah. So yeah. she went on Twitter and she said, hey, if you were supposed to be the star of the show or sing a song, I'll watch it. Go in front of your bay window and <laughs> shoot it and send it to me. And I will, I promise that I will watch every one of them and I'll share it with my friends. Well, she was sharing it with Lin-Manuel Miranda and all of these people. And then subsequently, and this brings us back to the senior home thing, after she had collected all of these singing high school kids, she realized this is content. This is programming that we could play in, in senior homes, broadcast or simulcast them into the, to the homes or make a tape for them to watch, which was essentially a really bright way of connecting human beings and talent and showcasing something that might've gone four days later and been done at their high school. They mm. were suddenly getting an audition for front of the biggest people in, in Broadway. It was a great idea. I wish I had known about that. Speaking of the music man, Silas was cast as Harold Hill when everything shut down, like a week before all uh. the school shut down, he got cast as Harold Hill and his, 
in his middle school pr- production of Music Man, and then and then never did it. So he was yeah. just, he was kind of heartbroken over How that. How did they but. let him know? Did they say you got trouble, my friend? <laughs> you got trouble yeah. right here in River City. Capital T that rhymes yeah. with P and that stands. For- <laughs> yeah, rhymes with C and that stands for COVID. Right? <laughs> exactly. Well, let's talk about what it takes to do this thing that you do because there's logistics. There's we see what happens on stage and we hear the magic when you're playing. But in order to move these folks around, I know that you have to book it efficiently and you have to have the equipment and travel. What happens from the moment that you begin to set a tour up, Jeremy? What are the demands? It's unique, man. We, we have a, a whole standard operating procedure for everything we do. And, and we, we invented all of this from whole cloth, primarily because there's no one out there teaching artists how to do it, Pat. I know you know that. It's like and we, we talk a lot about this, the business side to other artists, people, because, you know, unless you're just the next Miles Davis of whatever it is that you do, you got to be good. You got to be somewhat fluent in the rest of it. I come from a sales background and a business background, so it was a little bit easier for me. But everything, even the nonprofit things that we do, everything starts on a spreadsheet that has all of the details. And, and it's a math equation. It's always like, okay, how much, how far is it? How far can we go in the bus a day? You know, cause we, that's how we work our routing. And then we look at maps and then, and then everybody gets paid whether we're playing a day a performance or, or not. And of course it's a different rate or whatever, but it's just, it, it's, there's all these things that go into it. Everybody gets hotels or we just get a, a hotel for the driver, which is what we usually do. Cause our bus sleeps the whole BAM, which we're really blessed to have which actually impacts the t- kind of gigs that we can take, Pat. I mean, now now it's like we can do, you know, we take two drivers and we can drive 25 hours or something, whatever, to someplace and and come straight back. So it really does start on a spreadsheet. Um, and then it's, it's always a, a task lining up our crew. We have our regular crew. We call them the COVID-1911. <laughs> you know, before that, there was a lot of dudes. I mean, like literally I had 1099, probably 280 guys a year. Because I need a lot. If I'm in New York, I use part a New York based crew sometimes along with my musical director and lead players and and key people. If we're in New Orleans, the same thing. Or if we're in Dallas or if we're in Miami, we might add a few people. That's why we have so many folks. But when the pandemic hit, it just kind of became us all the time. Now, occasionally, someone will have to go to a, a grandmother's birthday party, something like that. So it, it really is a, a logistic thing of lining all those schedules up. And a tour is really tricky, just lining all the numbers up taking care of every penny. A lot of people don't understand this, but I know exactly how much money I'm going to make on a three-week tour before I leave the house. Every single mm-hmm. penny has been counted. It's And my friends who aren't in the business, they think that, I, I guess, they think I'm going to clubs and hoping for the most. Uh, I, I don't know what they think, <laughs> but, but we, we're able to calculate down to the penny what we're going to get paid before we leave. And, and it's just, it's from 20 years of doing it, Pat, and just, just kind of figuring it out. But what people don't understand is, you can't go four days between a gig. Like you have to figure out because that's four days of hotels or four days of gas. That math means, oh, we need a gig in between these two gigs, even if we have to do it for this amount, right? Like yes. sometimes you have the big money gig and then you have the bumper crop gig. And I got to tell you, one of the most fun ones that we've ever had, one of those in between nights, because, you know, everybody's getting paid, Pat. I mean, it just the way, that's the way it works. They, they, they work for us. So they, we honor them. We don't ask them to do anything for free. But we're on. We're wrapping up an eight-week tour. We're coming through Austin, Texas. We call our friend Pat Hazel. Pat, <laughs> we got to find a day, man. We got to find something to do. And I remember you hooked us up with what turned out to be probably one of the most fun gigs of the whole tour. And it was. And, and the money was inconsequential. We, we, we got paid in hot dogs. I we mean, got paid in hot dogs. We were paid in hot dogs. <laughs> was, there was, was beer also. <laughs> it was beer. And it was no. good. It was good. There were good, good hot beer. dogs. It was good beer. It was top shelf liquor. It was all the hot dogs. There was this great place in Austin. I don't think it's there anymore called Frank. Is it gone, Pat? Is it still, is I, it I think it is gone, but there may still be one in San Antonio. But Frank was a craft cocktail, beer, and super fun, high-end yeah. camp food. And it, it was like hipster tots and hot dogs. And yes, stuff. it was, was like awesome. hipsters, gourmet. I remember that, like duck-infused hot dogs. They had one called the Notorious P.I.G., which had macaroni and cheese on it. Anyway, <laughs> it was a super fun night. We, we, we had a night off. And I needed to fill it. You helped us hook up that job. And the, we were right on top of the crowd. The crowd loved it. We ate and drank. It was it was it was truly a remarkable night, which we owe you. Well, here's the thing: you did though. You started it off outside. 
You came marching down the street like a second line, all jamming with all your brass instruments. And I mean, it stirred up the Sixth Street crowd, the people right around there in downtown Austin. And they followed you like like the Pied Piper of Hamlin into that club, (laughs) which was already full. It was small and full and we had sold the tickets, but all kinds of looky-loos were like, what is happening here? And that energy you often bring, you do that same kind of thing when you're playing through the crowd, you'll, you'll get up and everybody mm-hmm. will start parading through the crowd at clubs. And that is, that energy is unforgettable for the audience. It, it really is. It's, it's one of the things that is, it's a trademark of our show. And being from Louisiana, that whole New Orleans style brass band, that street parade idea is really near and dear to our heart. We, and we do it all the time. We actually played the JEA last night here in Savannah, the Jewish Educational Alliance. And we did a, a rousing version of Havanagila, and it was over the top. Let me tell you, there, sure. chairs in the air. Yeah, oh, yeah, it was great. Let me just take a moment to play a tune of yours. I want to give the audience your energy, and I know you guys have an amazing version of Outcast Anthem, and mm-hmm. I'm going to play a little bit of that right now, and then we'll come back to talk. Let's do it. Don't run with the crowd Just call me an outcast I turn off the news Cause it's just too loud And I think like an outcast Everywhere oh, Judging people stare They kick me out But I don't care My words are always hated My life is underrated this can't be overstated I wanna be free I don't think the way you do Just coming an outcast Put your foot in the other shoe And live like an outcast Call us names Oh, just fan flames Come along and sing our song The mainstream tell us For my money, they're overzealous Not trying to make you jealous Just trying to set you free Hey, come on baby, play that thing All right was fantastic i forgot how good that was (laughs) no i love i love hearing you guys play i just remember the face of every one of your musicians and how much fun they're having 
it's more than energy, it's synergy when we all get together and, and we're, we're speaking a language together and, and it's even more compounded with a live audience. And that just, uh, I don't know, it, it's, it's something that can't, can't be contained. It's the whole lightning in a bottle thing. And it's, it's, it's pretty awesome. We discovered, I think, back in college that we had something pretty special. We had a funk band that Jeremy and I played with that we formed and it was called Howard Shaft. I don't know if you've ever heard us talk about Howard Shaft. No, this was, no but you said a funk band, not a punk band, right? A funk band. Okay. I mean, think uh, think yeah, Earth, Wind & Fire, think James Brown, think uh, all that kind of good stuff. It was a horn band with a with a rhythm section. We did all the great fun, funky stuff for all the, the SEC colleges and the, the fraternities and sororities in the South, and we had a blast doing it. But we would end every show we did with that, that whole New Orleans Mardi Gras second line thing and and we go out in the crowd and play the horns and get everybody riled up. And it just it, it just has always been uh, and always been a, a important for us to keep the energy level high with what we're doing, because we want the audience to be up on their feet, uh, standing ovation every time. That's, that's what we're that's what we're going for. And was that outcast anthem arrangement done by Aaron Larian? Of course. Betcha. That fellow is amazing. Yes. Aaron Larian is our magician. There's a song that I wrote during the pandemic, which and this just illustrates how brilliant he is. I mean. I was sitting on the front porch with my guitar and I wrote a song based on actually a couple of scriptures that were meaningful to me at the time of losing my entire income and being a sole provider for a wife and three children. It was like, I, I, you know, I'm looking for something to cling to here. And, and it was scripture that meant something to me. And it was just about not being afraid and, and not worrying. And, and, and this song came to me and I wrote it and I just, it was really simple. And I remember, I remember, I remember, shooting a video of it and posting it on the internet. Well, that video is out there. And when I took the song, I ended up taking the song and I gave it to Aaron. I said, just do what you do. And he just created something really, really beautiful and different than what I did. I mean, the, the arranger takes the chords and the melody and sometimes he expands upon that and he builds around it like a horn section or lines or whatever. Uh, and the cool thing about Aaron is not only is he it's always right. It's always, there's no mistakes. It's always quick. And he speaks in our voice. That's the thing. You know what I mean? He knows the band because he's been doing it for, I don't even know, seven, eight years, every gig with us. So he knows without hesitation what we need. And like I said, there's other arrangers that are great arrangers, but they don't always end up speaking in the voice of the Fabulous Eagle Arts Orchestra. And he does that exceptionally well. What was the title of that song? Let Not Your Heart Be Troubled. And is that on Spotify? It is on Spotify. Okay. I just want people to know that your music is out there. And if they want to give some context to this yeah, story, sure, they can look sure. that Thank up. You. We went during the uh, pandemic, since everything got canceled, obviously, we had been looking for, and this is one of those blessings in disguises, we had been lamenting the fact for years that we never had the time to go into the studio, to write new music and to record new music. Every time we had a planning session, we were like, when are we going to get in the studio? When are we get in the studio? We have all this great stuff. We want to write new stuff. And then all of a sudden, all of a sudden, we had all this time on our hands. And so uh, we went down to a studio in, in North Florida and uh, and spent spent a few days down there. And just, just I, I feel really proud about what we did. We came out with three albums, which were, yeah. Which were amazing. Yeah. yeah, Charade, Victory, and Bridge. I mean, right. that is a lot of work that you guys put out. The true testament is is how great the band is. I mean, they it was mm -hmm. just they weren't all one take, but they were. It was pretty close. We didn't have time to play them all ten times. You know what I mean? Like when we went did Great American Swagger with we the Nashville, and we had plenty of time to do just like what eight, ten, twelve songs, whatever it was. It was probably ten or twelve. This was a lot of music, and there was three distinct group groupings of music, which included four songs that we did for a movie. A friend of ours, Anna Zelinsky directed her first feature film mm -hmm. and the movie was called courting mom and dad. It was on pure flicks and she needed songs that, sh that she had like Sinatra tunes that she couldn't possibly afford. And we didn't have anything that fit what she needed, but we, she sent us a, an early copy of the film and we listened to the, we watched it with those placeholders and we knew exactly what she needed. And clay and I wrote another example of, of Aaron's brilliance. We wrote the, the core to the song, the lyrics and the, and the chords melody and then gave it to Aaron and then he did this beautiful thing and then we we just played it cold we we really probably one take on all three of them and they made their made their way into the movie which was the first time we'd ever had an opportunity to do that there's something amazing about the power of collaboration mm. for sure <laughs> that's right you know That's you accurate. you have to keep 
building the airplane as you're taking off sometimes. <laughs> when this all started, I did everything. It was, it was my job. If it was to be done, it was my job, and I had to do everything. And I was probably a control freak, I'm sure, for a while. But a as I've grown up, nah. toured, <laughs> nah, not nah. anymore. <laughs> now it's like I read a book called Rocket Fuel, which changed the way I feel about things. The book talks about visionaries and integrators and how a visionary cannot be successful at all. It's just like 99.9% like .9 of the time, you cannot be successful without having an integrator. And it really, you, you settle into this idea of everyone having their lane. And I am happy when I'm in my lane. I am now miserable, Pat, when I'm out of my lane. I don't want to be doing the stuff that I'm not good at. And and for our little team, Brooke, our director of operations, she's the integrator. It's like we, we come up, Clay is kind of a co-visionary with me. We come up with these crazy ideas and then we pass them to Brooke and she puts legs to it and builds a plan around it and holds us all, including me and Clay, uh, accountable for what we say we're going to do. Mm -hmm. Well, I think that's important, having a system. And understanding the system, because in the early days, when you're in charge of everything, you can close the sales department when you go to the post office to be the delivery department. Right. And you don't realize that when you're on an airplane, you can't be doing something else. And that's really hard for the solo artist, uh, particularly if they have to be a business manager and sell a certain amount. That takes them away from their canvas. You probably kind of got to do it at first. And I understand that because I did it at first. And it, at some point when you're first starting out, you kind of got to do all that. But as soon as you can get to the point to where you, you can find some help, someone that you can trust, you got to you gotta take that step. And, and there's a lot going into getting to that place. I mean, I did it for years before I came full time, probably, I don't even know, 10 or 12 years before I was able to do all of this full time. I've only been doing the Fabulous Sequin Arts Orchestra, been a full time musician for 12 years. And I've been doing it since I was 15. But I remember you and I having conversations when you first got an assistant that it was sort of like, well, but I could do that, but I could do that. But, you know, it has changed things really dramatically for Certainly. you to have all of that support and all of those other things that you can delegate, essentially. And I remember meeting the two of you on the streets of New York. We were at an arts conference and we didn't know each other. And for some reason, we were walking to a neighboring hotel and the clay, I remember vividly handing me a CD of the Great American Swagger album, which I didn't listen to, you know, <laughs> no, till, till like two weeks later when I was right, at right. home and it was unbelievable to hear your Sinatra come fly with me and some of those tunes, they're unbelievable. But to me, you were two street urchins that were trying to get me to listen to your songs. And I don't even know how you knew who I was. <laughs> well, that's before we knew how big, a, how big a deal you were. Yeah, if we had known how big you were, we would have talked to you. I felt like a <laughs> random stranger on the street that you were going to hand me a CD and I was supposed to give you $3. You know? <laughs> well, I give you this, but uh, you got a spare change, sir. <laughs> uh, right. You have meant a lot to us, Pat. You have been an, an inspiration to us. You've been a mentor to us. You've helped us tremendously in our artistic ventures. And we just appreciate all the help you've given us over the years, for sure. Oh, it's been my pleasure. Let me shine a light also on your global missions because Equinox does do things in other parts of the world. The tripod of your success is the entertainment, the connection, and then the service. So mm -hmm. maybe you can tell me a little bit about what that mission is. Several years ago, I have been involved in missions all my life and I had been traveling to India quite a bit. And I had been asking Jeremy to come with me to India. Through my church work, I was going to India to do, to do some missions. And Jeremy always would say, uh, what was it, Jeremy, you said? Uh, I, would uh, say, you say, I would say consistently, I do not want to go to there. Yes, but, uh, <laughs> ev but eventually he did. That's that West Monroe education that's, coming yes, through. That's, right. that's, that's Liz Lemon, actually, but yes, that's, West Monroe as well. <laughs> West Monroe public education system. We went, to, But eventually he said yes, so we went to India, and, and I, knew, I knew the deal. I'd been there a lot, and Jeremy was like, I mean, was white as a ghost the whole time. And, uh, but, but it was fun for us, for, for us both to experience that together and then to realize and, you know, to kind of, for us together, like it's the whole collaboration thing. We're sitting over there in India, like we can do this with our music. Why aren't we using our music to do big global things? Like we have this great team. We have this incredible artistic arsenal that we can use to do good around the world. And even in, even in, in the country, why aren't we doing that? And so that was kind of where the seed was planted 
for us to start Equinox Global Missions. And since that moment, we've just always been looking for opportunities to do good with music, whether it's going into nursing homes or doing after school education programs, which we do here uh, in, in our local community, or whether it's going to, to Canada or to Poland or to Israel or, or wherever we're going to, to be able to, to take the music to be a blessing to people. Like in Kentucky with the, the tornadoes that happened a couple of years ago. We took the band up there and just did some benefit concerts, raised money. And we had people here who paid for us to go up there and do that so that we could raise money for them. So um, anyway, we can we can use the, the, the music to be a blessing. We, we want to do that for sure. We took away from it how blessed we are. And then, you know, and the fact that we have this great, amazing musical vehicle that we can use to be a blessing to folks. So we literally every month we're in assisted living facilities or senior centers or schools. We did. We just did one last week and they're usually underserved schools where they don't get a lot of attention. And we come in for an hour and we, we do everything from talking about what type of instruments we play to how we got our start to encouraging them to pursue music, to encourage them to know what it means to be a good friend, to understand what bullying is and and to, to not be those kinds of people. Uh, we teach them about respect and, and, and honoring their teachers and and listening to what their teachers say. And of course, their teachers are amening everything we say. And it, it really is. For us, it's probably where we want to be full time. I mean, not that we're not going to play $2 million weddings when people want us to come and do that for them. You know, and we'll still do the case. And that's what they pay you is the $2 million? Just, just me, personally. Slightly. Personally. Slightly less than that. <laughs> I, that's not so much. It, but it is literally double or triple what we make in the performing arts world. I mean, that's just right. the way it is. I mean, the corporate. But those are extraordinary luxury events. I mean, every flower arrangement, Absolutely. every catering, every. They're right. ludicrous. Yeah. I mean, they're, we work really, 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 really hard to earn the trust of the people throwing those parties and designing mm -hmm. those parties. And sure. whether, whether we're, they want us to go to New York to play the plaza or whether it's, we're going to some five diamond resort on the ocean somewhere. We love doing that primarily because they're asking us to come do what we do. I'm not yeah. having to go sell my soul to do something weird musically. That's not what we do. We're just bringing <laughs> what it is. We actually did a celebrity wedding one time. That was one of those big multi zillion dollar weddings. And they saw our PBS special and they're like, would you, they talked to the planner. Who's the guy who does everything for Jerry Jones and the Cowboys. And he's a, he's a friend of ours. And the celebrity guy, he just said, would you just come do that? And we're like, certainly we'll do that. But all that to say, we're our business is fairly diversified as far as where we build our income. We, we tour, we, we do stuff for, for nonprofit stuff. We, we produce our own shows. We do corporates, we do wedding. And I think that keeps it interesting. And I think that it, it's also a bit of a, I want to say maybe recession proof because there's a lot, there's a lot of things that happen, different types of little sources of income. We've been truly blessed to do what we do. And, and the mission side of it really is our, is the heart and soul of, of what we do. Sure. And to find out more about the global missions part of Equinox, the free concerts, fundraisers, live streams, and also dial into your albums, your charade, victory and bridge albums. And I know one is more pop, one is more big band and one is more gospel. So they can go to equinoxorchestra.com and find links to all various things of that nature. And I'd love to sign off playing the way you guys usually end your concert with all that energy so I'm going to play a soft. Your friend Doug Duffy wrote a song called New Orleans Rain. Oh, yeah. And it, you want to say anything about it before we play it? Duffy's a great friend of ours. He's been inducted into the Louisiana Music Writers Hall of Fame and just a fantastic human being. And we love this song and we asked him if we could do our own version of it. And he said, God bless you, man. Go for it. So we did. And uh, and this is one of the uh, one of the ones that people, they they talk about a lot. And it's, it's, it's a lot of fun. People don't, don't forget this one. All right, great fun. Clay, Jeremy, always great respect to have the have you as friends and to watch you guys work. Thanks Thank so much, you, Pat. Pat. All right, here we go. New Orleans Rain by Doug Duffy and the fabulous Equinox Orchestra. <laughs>
Matching my tears As it falls to the ground I'm all alone Oh yeah In the heart of the town Longing for someone It falls like my tears You know these tears I've been crying Oh, I've been crying for years The sound of raindrops Oh, they're about to drive me This gloomy old place I cry out when it's frightening Oh, the tears that just roll down my face yes, When the heart aches, they get a helmet Just raging out of my roof Oh, just like my poor heart is pounding ah. And these tears Yes, these tears, they are the proof That a man can't help but cry No, he can't But he's suffering at a pain for joining us today. Take a moment to subscribe and we will hold your seat for more creative conversation and a weekly spark of inspiration. Our show is produced by Sweetwood Creative with sound editing lovingly provided by Delilah Lovejoy. Our original music theme was written and sung by Maya Sharp with additional production support and sanity provided by Tony Deo, Tucker Hazel, and Diane Johansson. Please feel free to share your input or dash off a review on social media to help grow our creative community. You can find us on Instagram at Pat Hazel with two L's or visit our website at creativityincaptivity.fun. You heard that right. It's dot fun because dot com is just two dot common and dot fun is so much more fun. Ciao for now. <laughs>